0: I'd like you to bear in mind that we sometimes look at all of the law, L-O-R-E, concerning Gwynapnid, and we assume that that's all talking about the same character in Welsh culture. And in a way they are, but it's worth bearing in mind that folk culture is very diverse and there will be different lineages and the Gwynapnith that we find in that poem from the Black Book of Carmarthen may not be the same Gwynapnith that we find in the tale of Ciloch or the Gwynapnith we find in the tale of St Collen and so on and so on. So even though we're trying to uncover or reveal the different aspects of this quite complex character in many ways what we might be doing is actually reveal different variations and instances of the same character so when we find continuity between the sources through different periods it's really important that we pay attention because that shows that those uh, similarities bear witness to very common beliefs regarding uh, these stories or these characters and that's what we're going to be looking at in this session we're going to be looking at one of the more common elements associated not only with Gwynapnith but also with the kingdom of beings that he is a king of those being a Taeg. Atulwith Teg. Atul with Teg literally translates as the fair folk, or the fair tribe, or the fair clan, or the fair people. Tulwith is a Welsh word that that really describes a community of people that may be closely interrelated, as in families, but it's more than just the normal family. So the tribe is probably the best way of translating a Tulwith take, the fair tribe. The name suggests that they are fair, that they are comely, that they are beautiful. And we can see that this is borne out in many of the stories concerning the Tilwith Teig and also their ancestors. Now, what do I mean by the Tilwith Teig's ancestors? Well, Tilwith Teig isn't an ancient, ancient Welsh word. It's pretty old. We first come across it in the 15th century, towards the beginning of the 15th century. And there may well be a hint of the Tolwith Teg in one of David Ap Gwyllim's poems that we're going to look at now. This was the poem that I showed you in the first session on Gwynapnydd by the great David Ap Gwyllim. Terae notice the beginning of the second line, Teluith Gwyn, Talaith a Gwynt. Gwyn's tribe, a people or nation of the wind, Talaith a Gwynt. Context is this. So, Towers of Gwyn's Tribe is what Dabdap Gwilym is talking about there. Travelling on high, headdress of the wind, its grim cheeks hide the land, a blanket covering three signs of the zodiac. So, again, talking about the mist, a nil... Gwynap name literally means white or blessed one son of the mist so it makes sense that he's the king of this tribe who live in the mists essentially David ap Gwilym doesn't specifically say Telwith Teg he says Telwith Gwyn which is why we can't really say that this is the first attestation of that name Telwith Teg actually appears for the first time in the 15th century in a poem which begins, Oed I made a tryst with my girl. We don't know who wrote this poem. It has been attributed to David Gwilym, but it's obviously from a few generations later. But it's, definitely a poem that's in the David Gwilym style if you like and in many ways it emulates David Gwilym's poetry and specifically emulates David Gwilym's poem to the mists to a neul and unsurprisingly as a poet maybe 75 years after David Upgwilym's time, who wants to emulate the great bard, he borrows the subject matter of that poem, The Mist, and he himself also begins describing the mist as something that emanates from uh, the Tullwith Teg or from Anoven. This is how the poem goes. I'll just read you a bit the Welsh because it's well worth hearing. Mal tarth i ffenbarth ffwrn bell, mwg y byd yn o bell, mwg e o anwn, abyd ar y byd hwn. Ucheldop a dargopwe, fel gwelgi'n llenwi pob lle, tew oed ag tad y glaw, tydyn y mam wyt so in this poem, a young man has gone off to try and meet his lover and he gets lost in the mist. Like the mist of hell's distant oven, smoke of the world issuing from afar, smoke of phantom's fire from anun. Ellylltan there. Ellyll is a very interesting word um, which roughly translates as phantom, but perhaps in the ne- not in the next session but in the one after. We'll discuss what this word Eshish actually means in the third line there that 's how it 's spelt eshestan phantom fire smoke of phantom's fire from anon, a thick habit draped over this world, a high topped web for catching birds, like a sea filling every place, you are thick and snug, father of the rain, you are cottage and mother to it, to the rain that is so very interesting once again, describing. Uh, the mist as something which is supernatural something which arises from Anun. and later on in the poem we get uh, very similar references the poet describes mist as a weak wizard fleeing long native land of the tillwith so that there is the first time it's used as far as we can tell in welsh poetry a weak wizard fleeing Long native land of the Tilwith Tig, which essentially means, it's a bit of a clumsy translation, I'm afraid, but the Tilwith Tig are natives of the land that the mist is. It's also a gown for the rock, fleece of the whole sky, a cloud of evil planets. I'm not quite sure of that translation. Steam of ocean waves, you are from Anun, so grand. So once again, this is the land of the Tilwith Tig, that is the mist. But also Anun is clearly connected with mist as well. So far, so good. This is pretty much what we know of the mist from David Apguilim as well. But how does this pan out in the rest of the tradition? To begin with, this isn't just the first mention of the Tullwith Teg, but it's also the first mention of the Tullwith Teg in connection with Anoven and the mist. It all comes in one pretty package for us. And of course, the earliest mist or enchanted mist associated with Aounorven that we have in any Welsh source is from the four branches of the Mabinogi. In the third branch of the Mabinogi, Manawatan and Trianon, his new wife, and uh, Praderi and his wife Kigva. They're all feasting in Doved, and after the feast, they decide to go up a magical mound, the mound of Gorsed Arberth. And in that place, they witness a magical mist descending across the whole land. This is how it's described in the story. As they were sitting there, they heard a tumultuous noise, and with the intensity of the noise, there fell a blanket of mist, so that they could not see each other. And after the mist, everywhere became bright, and so on and so on. So this enchanted mist essentially is a curse. Uh, It's an enchantment that's a revenge in lots of ways uh, for actions carried out in the first branch of the Mabinogi. But what's interesting about this mist is that it's carried out by a great enchanter known as Lluidfab Cielcoyd. And Lluidfab Cielcoyd is interesting for his name. Chuid means grey, Vab means son of and keelkoid means woodland retreat or like a, a corner of the woods. So the grey one, son of woodland retreat or corner of the woods, which has very Tlwyth like uh, associations. The colour grey, the fact that, that a woodland is mentioned. These are all features we find in other descriptions of the Tlwyth as well. Now, of course, when the four branches of the Mabinogi were being copied down, Tulwith Tag wasn't being used. But that doesn't mean that the Tulwith Teg weren't there just because they weren't being called that. There clearly were supernatural beings that lived in uh, a Different space, a different dimension to the rest of life. There was this other space, Anuven, and Vab Kielkoid is very much an Anuvian character. He's definitely someone from the alternative dimension uh, that's presented to us in the four branches of the Mabinogi. So it's quite likely that Vab Kielkoid is one of the Tulwith Teg, and that his people. Ah, the Tolwith Teg, are ah, the denizens of Anovin. Now, in the third branch of the Mabinogi, Floyd Vab Kielkoid's people, they're responsible for stealing Manawadan's crops. Manawadan plants a crop, it grows. Then, sometime overnight, one of the crops disappears, and one night he decides to spend the night and guard his crops and see what happens. And essentially, Hluidwab Kielkoid is transforming his people into mice, and the mice are stealing his crop. This, to me, sounds like a very Tulwith tag like thing to do, as with many cultures, folk cultures across the world, there is a belief in spirits that live out in nature that influence. Uh, human life that come and do things to us and we do things to them and there's this interaction and this sounds like one of those occasions where Mana is having dealings with the supernatural realm they're interfering with his crop there's some mysterious thing causing his crops to fail so here we have essentially the first mention of the tilwith teg but they're not called that but they are the children of Anoven. They're the people of Anoven. Just to move on, it's worth looking at as broad a spectrum of references as we can when we're looking at Welsh folk culture. And we have this mention of the Tylwyth Teg for the first time properly in the 15th century. We've got the Third branch of the Mabinogi, probably written around the end of the 11th century. And then we're going to jump all the way to the 19th century and look at another instance of Welsh folk culture where the mists have been mentioned in association with the Tilwith Teig. So this is a story by Elias Owen, uh, that great collector of Welsh folklore. This is from uh, an article he wrote in 1884. So quite late in many ways... Just above Penryn Quarry, Cynarvynshire, Penryn Quarry, of course, is the large slate quarry uh, in Bethesda in North Wales, not far from Bangor, in the foothills of Snowdon. Just above Penryn Quarry, Cynarvynshire, is a prettily situated lake called Llyn Marchlyn Fawr. For those of you who've walked lots of the Snowdon mountains, you'll know that this is now the Marchlin Reservoir, it's been extended, uh, a large wall has been built around it and it's been created as a reservoir for uh, the Dinardwig power station. So it's still there. But this is how Elias Owen describes the Marklin Lake. The Bear Mountain forms a barrier to one side of the lake. Massive boulders are lodged along the other sides and solitude reigns around. It is just the place for elves... Now, it's really interesting that Elias Owen uses the term elves there, and not necessarily fairies. Fairies is the common translation for Atul with teig, but elves there, I believe, is actually probably a far better translation. I often encourage people to think of the Teig more... Like Tolkien's elves, and Tolkien, of course, was borrowing from a prior tradition, and it's these elves that uh, Elias Owen is evoking here. Old John Williams, who is Elias Owens' source here, of course, Old John Williams told me that a man who was fishing in the lake found himself enveloped in the clouds that had descended from the hills to the lake. A sudden gust of wind cleared a road through the mist that hung over the lake and revealed, dun-dun-dun, to his sight, a man busily engaged in thatching a stack. Now... That's essentially thatching a chimney stack or thatching around a chimney stack, thatching a roof. The man, or rather the fairy, so Elias using fairy there, stood on a ladder. The stack and ladder rested on the surface of the lake. John Williams described the man's dress, but this I forgot to make a note of, nor do I remember what was the end of the tale. Thanks, Elias, there, for being so straight up with us about what you do and don't remember. But of course, what's interesting there is that this is clearly a supernatural event. There is mist and the mist parts to reveal what's essentially something of human form, but it's clearly not human because they're doing something wondrous, standing on a lake, thatching a roof, uh, standing on a ladder, which is also on the surface of the lake. Now, this fairy is human-sized, more like an elf than a a little fairy, and this is where we need to be careful with with Teg, because in the main part, they are the same size as us, and they essentially look like us, and they behave similarly to us, although they do have uh, other different qualities, of course, and they often live in lakes or in caves, or they are found on mountaintops or in the deep woods. We do have stories in Wales of small little people, but I'm not sure that these are necessarily a Tilwith Teg. I think that later tradition confuses these because people think, well, the Tilwith Teg is Welsh for fairies, and we know that in English tradition, fairies are often diminutive little tutu wearing beings with wings on their backs, and that that's how we should think of. All of the Tilwith Teg in Wales, but I don't think that's the case. I think there are other names for these diminutive creatures uh, in, uh, in the Welsh tradition. It's just that often they're mixed up with the Tilwith Teg. So for the time being, I'd like to keep those separate. The other thing, of course, to notice is that as well as being human size and being supernatural, the mist appears to obey... Their commands, or appears to facilitate the relationship between the human and the Tilwith Teg. The mist is parting here to reveal uh, the Tilwith Teg to the mortal. Now, maybe this might be lucky coincidence. It might just be something that um, the human is fortunate to behold, or there might be something about the relationship between the Tilwith Teg and the mist, that the Tilwith Teg control the mists, that that is their native land just as we find in the poetry we've looked at, and also in that reference from uh, the third branch of the Mabinogi. Now, all of this makes perfect sense when we think that their king is called Gwynapnith, White or Blessed One, Son of the Mist. The reason why I'm going more into the Tilwith Teg this time is really to contrast what we find about the Tilwith Teg with the m- more modern evolution of Gwynaponese folklore. The Tilwith Teg aren't really associated with death. The Tilwith Teg aren't really associated with guiding the souls of the dead. They are a separate race of spiritual beings that live in an adjacent dimension to us in Anoven. And there's good reason to think why sometimes we could conflate Anoven with the land of the dead, and there are suggestions of that elsewhere in the Welsh tradition. But fundamentally, the Tilwith Teig and Gwynapnith aren't creatures of the dead when we take them as a whole. When we look at the Tilwith Teig and assume that they are a fair representation of Gwynapnith's Character and uh, status and and condition and their attributes are his attributes. We find that Gwynapneath doesn't really have that much of a connection with the dead beyond what we looked at uh, last week. This is one of the other reasons why I think that the Gwynapneath psychopomp that we might be finding in the poem from the Black Book of Carmarthen, might be a slightly different Gwynapneth to the one that we find in other sources. Uh, the Gwynapneth who is king of the Tilweth Tech, the Gwynapneth who uh, challenges saints and who um, likes to tempt humans with uh, beautiful women or with treasure or with uh, enormous feasts. That Gwynapneth might not be the same Gwynapneth as the pump we might be looking at two different types of character here. That we can see are similar, they're supernatural, they have a bearing on the spiritual life of the mortals that they share this land with. But apart from that, there isn't much really to tie the Tullwith Teig and therefore this version of Gwynapneth with the dead. That's another part of the problem in many ways.